He is risen. He is risen Perfect job. You guys did a great job with that. My first Easter as a believer, somebody said that to me, and I remember going, uh, okay. <laughs> I now know what to say. Although I sent that to my sons this, this morning, they're grown-ups, and uh, one of them wrote me back, whoop, there he is. So, <laughs> whatever. Whether you're here today on site, and it is fantastic to see so many people here on site, it almost feels normal, or whether you're joining us online, we appreciate that you've uh, chosen to celebrate together with us, so thank you for that. Thank you for continuing to support the ministry of Hammock Street Church. We are here. We have survived the year-long respite. Uh, because of your faithfulness. So thank you very much for that. If you're not yet supporting Hammock Street and you would like to, we would appreciate that, you can actually give the old-fashioned way by mailing a check or something. Or you can go to our website, hammockstreetchurch.com, and sign up for periodic online giving. You could also do that through our free app that's available at the App Store. Or by texting the word GIVE to 561-220-5115. Zach already told you that. He's really just showing off because it's the one number he memorized. So um, anyway, for the last few weeks uh, leading up to today, we've been working our way through a series called Against All Odds. What we've been talking about are the ancient prophecies from the Hebrew Bible, the ancient Old Testament prophecies that heralded the coming of the Savior, the coming of the Messiah. So in our message during the first week, we called it what are the odds? We looked at 24 prophecies from the Hebrew prophet Isaiah that Jesus fulfilled. Well, then the week after that, week two, we saw how Jesus remained silent as he endured six trials, the six trials to which he was subjected during his final roughly day and a half on earth. Then in week three, we saw how Jesus was counted among the rebels as he condescended, as he came down to earth, he lowered himself for us so that through him and through what he would do, we could be raised up for God. And then last week, which was Palm Sunday, we saw how Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of the Hebrew prophet Zechariah when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem for his final week on earth. Now, if you missed any of these messages or any others, and you'd like to watch them or catch up, uh, lots of places you can do that. You can find that on our YouTube channel, or you can go to Facebook, or you can go to our uh, website as well. Well, today, on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter, what we're going to do is we're going to see how Jesus fulfilled the ultimate Old Testament prophecy when he rose from the dead, so that we could live eternally connected to God forever, because that's what we celebrate on Easter. All right, you got all that? Why don't we pray together, and then we will get going. Father God, thank you for gathering us together as your called-out community, as your ecclesia. Thank you for bringing us together here on site, also together online. We thank you for the technology that allows us to do that. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather freely, to worship you, to celebrate who you are, to study the Bible, to study your word. God, as we continue on this morning, we ask that you would use your word to change us, to change our hearts and minds, and to bring us closer to you. God, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the reason we called our series Against All Odds 
can be seen in our examination of the prophecies left for us by the Hebrew prophet Isaiah, written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Now, just to give you some idea, 700 years is roughly three times longer than the United States has even existed. So that is a very long time, right? So for most of the series, we focused on Isaiah chapter 53. Now, here in Boca Raton, because of our unusually large Jewish population, we have one of the largest concentrations of Jewish people in the entire world. Actually, South Florida has the third largest Jewish population in the United States, the first two being New York and L.A. Many of us have encountered the prophecies of Isaiah 53 before. Years ago, actually, when I was doing some premarital counseling for a young couple, she was the daughter of Christian missionaries, and, and he was actually a yeshiva-educated Orthodox Jew from, from Brooklyn. I used Isaiah 53, and after the young man read Isaiah 53 in both the English and then the Hebrew, because he couldn't believe what he read in the English, he said, you know what? I never noticed that before. I never noticed what it said about the Messiah. And actually, he immediately understood that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, the Messiah he'd been waiting for his whole life. Now, I also have it on good information that there are many Orthodox Jews here in town that are worshiping with the most faithful Jewish congregations in town. You see them all over the place, the Chabad or Young Israel or any of the Orthodox places. I have it on good information that inside of those organizations, inside of those synagogues, people are worshiping Jesus secretly as their Messiah as well. Now, as I just said, Isaiah 53 described 24 events that the Messiah would experience that were all fulfilled in Jesus during the Holy Week. So, remember, the prophet Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would be despised, and he would be betrayed, and he would be rejected. He predicted that the Messiah would be silent before facing his accusers. He predicted that Jesus would bear our sorrows and our sins, or the Messiah would bear our sorrows and our sins. And he predicted that by bearing our sins, the Messiah would heal our sickness and pay the price for our wrongdoings. Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would be successful and live to see his work. All right? So the reason we called the series Against All Odds is because years ago, a mathematician by the name of Dr. Peter Stoner did some work with probability theory. And he determined the odds for one person fulfilling just eight prophecies of Scripture. And then he found that that probability of that one person was so minuscule that it would be virtually impossible. So it would be virtually impossible for one person to fulfill only eight prophecies of Scripture. Stoner actually said this. He said, the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled eight prophecies is a number that equals one times 10 to the 17th power. Now, if you're one of those people like me, you don't like math very much. And when I said that, you start to kind of shake a little bit in your seat. You go, oh, no, there's going to be math. No, there won't be math other than this. I just wanted you to see this. That number is a one with 17 zeros behind it. It's called, the number is 100 quintillion. Now, a number that big is hard to grasp. So what Stoner did is he gave us an illustration, a useful illustration. Here's what he said. Suppose we take 100 quintillion silver dollars and we lay them down on the face of the state of Texas. 
Now, if we were to do that, it would create a two-foot-thick cover of silver dollars over the entire state of Texas. That's a lot of silver dollars. Then imagine if we paint one of those silver dollars red. And then we stir the coins up thoroughly, and then we blindfold somebody, and we say, okay, blindfolded guy, go pick up one silver dollar. You can walk as far and as long as you like, but pick up one silver dollar whenever you decide to. The chances of picking up the red coin are one in 100 quintillion. All right? By the way, the chance of winning the lottery, they're one in 14 million. So much better odds. All right? Now... Those are the odds of fulfilling only eight prophecies. So what are the odds that anyone could fulfill, say, 48 prophecies of Scripture? Anybody? No. That's a number so big, there's no name for it. We don't even have a name for that yet. Well, in his life, Jesus didn't only fulfill eight or even 48 prophecies of Hebrew Scripture. Jesus fulfilled 332 prophecies. What? are the odds. Well, those odds are impossible. And today on Easter, we're going to talk about every one of those 332 prophecies. Fellas, lock the doors. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to talk about 332 prophecies. In fact, we're only going to talk about one, the greatest prophecy of them all. Here's the prophecy. What are the odds that a dead person could come back from the grave? Talk about that, and we're going to talk about what that means for us today. So as we get going, I want to make sure that we're all starting from the same place. We're all on the same page. Today, we're not talking about just reviving a person whose heart has temporarily stopped. Though, by the way, that's a miracle too in and of itself. A friend of mine actually had that happen to him. He was waiting to get on a plane in Italy and his heart stopped beating. And he woke up 10 days later in a hospital in Amsterdam and thought, what the heck happened? That was a miracle. They call that reviving someone. And it changed his life. And revival can change life. But we're not talking about revival. We're talking about resurrection. Jesus wasn't revived. He was resurrected. What are the odds that someone who'd been crucified and pronounced dead, someone who'd had a spear thrust through his side, causing that clear pericardial fluid, that clear pleural fluid to gush through the open wound? What are the odds that someone who had his body pried from the nails that held it to the cross and then wrapped in 200 pounds of spices and linen that covered not only his body, but his face and his nose and his mouth, and he'd been laid in a tomb which was sealed by a 2,000-pound stone. What are the odds that that person could revive himself, move the stone, walk 14 miles that afternoon, and convince his friends that he was completely restored to health? What are the odds? Zero, okay? The odds are zero. The odds that someone who experienced all of that and yet lived are exactly zero. Okay, so Jesus' resurrection was truly a miracle. It was truly against all odds. See, on Easter, we celebrate the fact that Jesus came back to life, not only proving how powerful our God is, but also demonstrating that Jesus was and is who he said he was and that there really is an eternal life to be lived, connected to God, on this earth and after our earthly lives are over. 
So what I want to do now is I want to look at the words of the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 53.10 to see if we can recognize what the prophet was talking about. So this is from Isaiah 53.10. I'll put all the Bible verses up here on the screen for you. But it was the Lord's good plan to bruise him, that's talking about the Messiah, and fill him with grief. That's what we celebrate or we commemorate on Good Friday. Verse 10 continues. However, when his soul has been made an offering for sin, okay, so that's what happened at the crucifixion. Jesus died for sin. Then he shall have a multitude of children, many heirs. That's us. That's anybody who has committed their lives to Jesus. Verse 10 continues, he shall live again. That's the resurrection. And verse 10 ends with this, and God's program shall prosper in his hands. That's us. That's the ecclesia. That's the church. The church that has branches in every place in the world. My younger brother lives in Northern California, and whenever he's walking around up there or out there, and he sees someone handing out Bible tracts or someone with a big sign that says, you know, the end is near or something like that, he'll take a picture of it, and he'll text it to me, and he'll say, is this someone from your home office? And I say, yeah, you know, he's very funny that way. But we're everywhere, okay? But that's not all. In the very next verse, in Isaiah 53, 11, look at what Isaiah said. And when he sees all that is accomplished by the anguish of his soul, he shall be satisfied. And because of what he has experienced, my righteous servant shall make many to be counted righteous before God, for he shall bear all their sins. What are the odds? What are the odds that all of this could happen? What are the odds that all of this would happen? What are the odds that all of this did, in fact, happen? Those odds are impossible, and yet it happened. So now I want to continue looking at this because I want us all to see how it all went down. Now, I want to warn you today, we're going to be looking at a lot of Bible verses. Don't be panicky. Don't think you have to memorize anything. There will not be a quiz afterward. But the reason I wanted you to see all these verses is because I want you to pay attention to the level of detail. Like, this is an incredibly detailed story in Scripture. It's interesting, we were talking at the backboard between services. You know, the Christmas story has barely anything in Scripture. But this story is really chock full of detail. So pay attention to the level of detail. Note that the writers of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wanted to make sure that we didn't miss this. They wanted to make sure that we didn't miss the fact that these things really actually happened and they wanted us to see that we serve a very powerful God. Now, due to its importance, all four of the gospel writers recorded a version of this story. Remember, we've talked about that. Each of the gospel writers was writing to a different audience, so the stories do differ a little bit, but that's just because they included different facts and different explanations for their different audiences. So we're going to today read from Luke's account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to read from Luke's account, and then we'll take note when the other gospel accounts add something else, something additional that's interesting and different. So here we go. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. You're welcome to follow along on a Bible if you brought one with you or on your phone or your device or just trust that I put them up correctly on the screen. All right, Luke 24, 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing spices, the spices that they had prepared. 
they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. All right, so now we got to start. First day of the week. Is that Monday? No, it's Sunday. For the Jewish people, Sunday is the first day of the week. And Israel, Sunday is still the first day of the week. Followers of Jesus today, that would be us, we gather to worship on the first day of the week, Sunday, because that's the day that Jesus came back from the dead. So that's why we meet on Sunday. All right, verse 3. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Now, by the way, you always notice this. Whenever you see an appearance like this, everybody's terrified. So it really must be quite uh, terrifying. So here we go. Verse 5. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. We continue in verse 6. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Now, verse 9. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women were with them telling the apostles these things, verse 11, but these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, verse 12, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stopped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths, so he went away amazed at what had happened. All right, so what happened that morning? Well, I'm just going to give you a quick rundown, seven things that happened that morning. So we know just before dawn, early, early, Women went to the tomb to finish dressing Jesus' body. Now, remember what happened? We read earlier, or we've read earlier in the Gospels, when Jesus died, he was, he was covered with these spices and these aromatic ointments and things, and then he was put into the tomb. But the women were going to add more stuff. Okay, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to even add more. Why did they cover people with this sort of aromatic spices and ointments and stuff? Decomposition. Decomposition is fairly smelly, and in those days they were trying to blunt some of the smell, so that's what they did. Now, Luke in his gospel names two Marys and a Joanna among these witnesses. Now, Mark names the two Marys and a daughter of one of the Marys whose name was Salome. So that means we had at least four women who witnessed the resurrection. There are probably more. Now, the fact that these women turned out to be the first witnesses is really the opposite of what one would expect if you were just making up a story. Why? Well, in the Jewish culture at the time, women were considered not competent to testify in court. So their testimony, anything they said, wouldn't have proven anything. So if that's what they were after, that was a bad choice. All right? Clearly, they didn't make that up. Secondly, according to uh, Matthew, while the women were on their way to the tomb, there was an earthquake. Now, earthquakes are not common in Jerusalem, so they remembered this one. In fact, some people believe that a crack in the ground that was recently discovered just, just a few years ago, discovered by maintenance crews in the place where they believe that the tomb was located, they believe that crack was caused by that earthquake. Okay, so that's something new that they're still discovering these things. 
Number three, the angels announced that Jesus had risen. Now, the Gospels report that angels appeared in the form of two men. In fact, Matthew's Gospel adds a little bit. He says that one of the angels appeared like lightning, and his, color, his, his clothes were as white as snow. Number four, the women then ran back and reported the news to the disciples. Remember, they were not among the 12 disciples, now the 11 disciples because of Judas, but they ran back and reported the news. We go to the fifth thing, according to Matthew, on the way to report they encountered Jesus in the flesh. And then number six, in each of the gospels, it's recorded that the disciples doubted the report of the women. And let me ask you this question. Would you believe them? Think about what's going on here. These disciples had just spent three years traveling with Jesus, listening to him, watching him perform miracles, watching him heal people. They were getting all fired up that he was really going to come in and he was going to get rid of these pesky Romans and the Jews are going to be in charge of everything. And then they watch him die. And they watch him die a horrible death. They watched that Roman soldier thrust a spear up under his rib cage, which pierced his heart, which went through his lungs. They saw the clear fluid gush from the wound. They knew enough to know that the presence of such fluid was there because he had such a severe beating and because he had so much strain had to, having to carry his own cross up the hill. Now, we know today that what Jesus experienced was something called hypovolemic shock which causes fluid to gather in your pericardial sac, which is the sac around your heart. That's called pericardial effusion. And it causes fluid to gather in the sac around your lungs, which is called pleural effusion. And we know that that all came rushing out after he was stabbed with that Roman spear. So the disciples heard all of this, and they had watched this happen, and they said, there's no way Jesus survived. We saw it happen. You know on television, when you're watching a show, and one of the characters die, but you don't ever get to see the body, you just know that he died, and you always go, he's coming back, right? They didn't have that here. They saw it. They saw the body. They saw the fluid. There's no way he could have survived. Seventh thing we just saw is that Peter and John investigated the tomb for themselves, they didn't necessarily believe the women, but they were intrigued enough that they ran to the tomb to have a look for themselves. Now, those things happened on Easter Sunday morning. And what was the result of those events in the moment? In other words, what did that mean for them there? Essentially, they didn't know what to make of it. They were freaking out. They were totally clueless. Just imagine what it was like for them. They were desperately trying to process what was going on, all the things that they'd seen and heard about their Lord, and then all the things that they watched happen with the crucifixion and the spear. And like, none of it made sense to them. They were just people. They didn't know. Well, Luke provides even more details of the way that that day continued to progress. So we go on to verse 13 now of Luke 24. Now the same day, so here's the same day, Two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they had been discussing everything that had taken place. Now, I want you to take a minute. Isn't this exactly what you would do? Think about that. Something big happens in town, and what are you going to do? You're going to find your friends, and you're going to talk about it. Did you, could you believe it? You see what happened? What, the tomb, tomb was empty? But wait, didn't you see him get stabbed? Yeah, we saw him get stabbed. All the stuff came out. Yeah, well, they're just chit-chatting, right? Talking to each other while they're walking. What happens? Well, while they're discussing and arguing, so they're having this conversation about what went down that day, Jesus himself 
comes near and begins to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. So think about this. It's actually kind of a cool punk here, right? So it's like Jesus knows what happened to him. He heard them gossiping about it. So he kind of walks up to him and says, hey, what's going on? What are you guys talking about, right? Really weird. Okay, verse 17. Then Jesus says, what's this dispute you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stop walking. And they looked discouraged. Like, who's this guy? How do we know that? Because we keep reading. The one named Cleopas answered him, who are you? What do you live under a rock? How do you not know what happened? Have you not watched the news? Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened in these days? How could you not know? Everybody knows. And Jesus says, continuing the ruse, uh, what things? Don't you love that? I love that. Jesus is like a prankster. It's good. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides this, it's the third day since all these things happened. Verse 22, moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived at the tomb early. They didn't find his body. They came and reported that they'd seen angels who said he was alive. They're telling the whole story to this stranger that they don't know is Jesus. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. So Jesus says to them, huh, how foolish you guys are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? This is Jesus talking to them. You see what he's doing? He's talking about himself. He's asking them Bible questions. Wait a minute. Doesn't the Messiah have to suffer? He's reminding them. And then what does he do? He starts to teach them all the things that they should have known. I love this little Bible study from Jesus. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he began to interpret the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So he's walking with them. He's giving them this old Bible lesson about what's going to happen to the Messiah. Then they came near the village where they were going. He gave the impression, Jesus gave the impression he was going to keep on going. They urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening. And now the day is almost over. So Jesus went to stay with them. So... It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread and blessed it. We say the blessing all the time at communion. And he gave it to them. And then their eyes are open. And they say, oh my gosh, this guy's Jesus. And poof, he disappears from their sight. So now what do they do? They do this Monday morning quarterbacking thing. This hindsight is 2020 thing. They go, yeah, I kind of knew that was Jesus, didn't you? That's what they say. Look, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road and explaining the scriptures? Like, yeah, I kind of thought that might have been Jesus, didn't you? Yeah, I kind of thought so too, right? They, they did not think that at all. But that's what they said. Verse 33, that very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven. And those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Verse 35, then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. All right, so little summary. On the afternoon of the crucifixion, 
Jesus physically appears to two disciples while they're walking the seven miles back to Emmaus. Again, that's not the 12 or the 11. But scholars believe that those disciples, one was a man called Cleopas. We read his name in verse 18, but we don't know who the other one was. There's really no consensus as to the identity of the other. But on their way, the resurrected Jesus shows up, appears to them, gives them this detailed Bible review. Then he joins them for supper, but disappears after the blessing over the bread. All right, so Luke's account picks up later on that night once the disciples return to Jerusalem. Verse 36. As they were saying these things, Jesus shows up. Okay, Jesus himself stands in their midst. Now, John's gospel in John 20, 19 says, Jesus walked through the wall to get in, to stand in their midst. And Jesus says, peace to you. Because they went, ah, right? I mean, I imagine it just freaked right out. Peace, like, Calm down. It's kind of funny that it's a greeting in, in church circles. You go, peace to you, right? If you've been in Catholic church, you do that. I think he was saying peace to you because they were not peaceful. They were going crazy. But they were startled and terrified. They thought they were seeing a ghost. Verse 38, why, why are you troubled? He asked them, knowing exactly why they were troubled. And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your heart? And then he says, look at my hands. Look at my feet. That it is I, myself, touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have. All right, having said this, Jesus showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, Jesus asked them, uh, do you guys have anything to eat? How funny is that? right? He just freaks everyone out. He walks through a wall. He surprises everybody. He's still alive. Everybody's going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you're alive, you're alive. Uh, I'm a little hungry. You guys, got, you guys got some dip or something? Just So what do they do? They broiled a piece of fish and gave it to him. This is why we eat lox and bagels. Just for this reason, comes right. <laughs> Jesus took it and ate the fish in their presence. And then he told them this. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also told them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem and he finishes with, you are my witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered on high. So, that evening, in sum, what happened? Jesus walked through a wall, showing God's power. Jesus ate some fish, showing that he was flesh and blood, not just a vision, not a ghost. He showed them the wounds on his hands and his feet, showing that he was indeed the one whom they saw crucified. And he explained the scriptures to them, reminding them of his fulfillment of the Hebrew prophecies. John would later add in John 20, 20, that the disciples rejoiced and believed when they saw Jesus. Remember, they'd been with him for three years, but it was at that moment that they believed it. And then Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit, along with the authority from God to share all that they had seen in order to guide 
others to him as well. All right. Here's why I told you all of that. Here's why I shared all of that with you, why I read so much scripture. This isn't just a cool story. It's so much more than a cool story. It's so much better than a cool story. The resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate on Easter today changed everything for the world and for us. The resurrection shows us that God is real. The resurrection shows us that God is unconstrained by time and space and that God has a grand plan for his people whom he created in his image. The resurrection shows us that God's power is limitless and that he truly is able to take every situation, to take everything that transpires in this world, even the horror of the crucifixion, and use it to bless his people and to bring him glory. The resurrection shows us that God and only God can take the tragedies that seem to be befalling the world at a breakneck pace and turn them into the triumphs that all humanity longs for. And most of all, the resurrection shows us that there really is life after death for everyone who comes to the understanding that notwithstanding our innate sinfulness, Jesus loves us anyway. And out of his love for us, He's made a way for us to be connected forever to God by paying for all of our sins on that cross and then by coming back from the dead. And when we'll turn from our natural selves and make Jesus our Lord and our Savior and our leader, then we become the recipients of God's eternal blessings. Now listen to this. We are all aware that we're living through a time of disease and division and despair. And though the culture is trying to convince us that our salvation is to be found in using the right words, or adopting the right politics, or belonging to the right party, or relying upon the right government program, or embracing the right cultural identification, we, as followers of Jesus, the Savior of the world, need to remember something. We need to remember that we know the truth. An authentic, transformative faith in Jesus is the answer to every single one of the issues that vex our world today. And if we'll stop being distracted by the noise promulgated by those with ulterior or sometimes nefarious motives, and just trust in Jesus completely, endeavoring every day to live out his command to love each other, our enemies, and the God who made us. If we'll do that, then we will see, in very short order, a faith revival in our midst and an irresistible movement of people so powerful that God's people will assume their rightful position as the people to whom the lost will turn in the face of the challenges that this world presents every single day. God has called 
every one of us, every believer as his ambassador to tell the world about him so that they can become a part of his plan of redemption. So, this Easter, let's commit together to answer God's call and then let's see what God does in our midst in Jesus' name. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to come together. Thank you for reminding us the beauty of Easter, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that through him we can have eternal life. God, we thank you. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.